Mini episode 1213 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at Sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. But uh, a match that uh, I feel like it benefits by comparison of what happened the next night uh, was the Kevin Owens and uh, Rollins match on Saturday night. Uh, a, a much, much, much better version of the hardcore brawl than Edge and Orton was, but still feel like it might have gone a little bit long. You did have the cool spot of Owens coming off like the top of the arena or whatever the hell that was supposed to be. And, you know, so you had that. The right guy went over. It was a blow-off to the whole storyline of Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins. Uh, but it was like, it, it was decent, but uh, it was not, I think, to, to me, it wasn't the epic that they were shooting for. I mean, yeah, I mean, you made my point for me. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't memorable. It really wasn't that memorable that the, the one spot was, but uh, again, and there's, there's, I'd say Rollins more than Owens. There are wrestlers that really get exposed in the empty arena. I, for Owens, I don't think his mannerisms are too much. But for Seth Rollins, who always walks that fine line between cheese and just the right amount of personality, like Seth Rollins gets exposed, I think, in the empty arenas just because it just the, the cheesiness of his, his persona. And I realize he's working a cheesy heel gimmick right now. But it was like, that was one where he could have used the crowd, I think, to camouflage a little bit of the excess cheese, just in my estimation. Yeah, I, I agree with you. You know, just, uh, you know, as far as the way I did go over as far as, you know, the long term looking at it, I'm not too sure. Yeah, and, and then what's interesting is I felt like Owens was a guy, I felt like he was a very logical guy to be in, and I'm going to take the two world title matches here uh, together because, again, a lot of commonality between them. Very interesting. That, as we said before, Paul Heyman, according to the Dirt Sheets, had it between Aleister Black and uh, Drew McIntyre for the slot to wrestle uh, Brock Lesnar for the, uh, the title on the show versus Kevin Owens, to me, was a logical guy. He, he felt like the number one face on Raw last fall. He still feels like he's very close to the top in that way. They elevated McIntyre, and they did a good job of it. It still feels like it kind of came out of nowhere, which is what makes it a little bit weird. His, his face turn certainly came out of nowhere. Just like all of a sudden, one day, he's in there fighting against the guy that the, the guys that the fans hate for some reason. That never really explained. Although, again, like you, I'm not watching it minute for minute, to, to put it uh, mildly. So, you know, maybe they tried at some point on there. But you knew it was going to be a good no. Hoss fight. Yeah, with, with him and with him and Lesnar, you knew it was going to be that. It was supposed to be a good Haas fight on the other side uh, with Roman Reigns and uh, Goldberg, and that was the way that the build went on all of that. Plans changed towards the end. Shameful that Roman Reigns, 
Uh, a two-time recovering leukemia patient has to be the guy to pull himself out of WrestleMania when he's got no business stepping out of his house uh, during a worldwide pandemic, much less going to Orlando and wrestling anybody. But, again, this is the world we live in, and we have the Vince McMahon that we have. Uh, I did. Did you watch Will Lynch's promo? He thought that was great. I did, yeah. <laughs> well, this all is over. Did I get that little bit on TV? Yeah. Well, and that's it. I mean, and it's it's their production that basically kills a lot of the stuff in there. I don't know. Did you ever see the, the Roman Leakey promo, I think, from FCW, like where he's wearing a suit? And he's just, he's just, yeah. you know, like, no, like no, yeah, I mean, that's like, exactly, like, Roman Reigns is capable of so much more than what they, they give him, uh, as was the case there, like you said, and then, uh, so it ends up being, uh, ultimately in that spot, Braun Strowman, so two mirror image matches here, we've got the part-time guys in there to drop the straps to the young up-and-coming guys, and you know it's going to be a short bomb fest, and that's what it basically was. I thought that the Brock bomb fest was marginally better than the other one. I gave it three and a quarter stars as opposed to three on the other ones. I thought both of them were very, very good sprints as far as it goes. To, to me, the all-time great sprint is still Brock and Goldberg, that five-minute one from WrestleMania 33, where it was I mean, finisher after finisher after finisher. Like You don't want to see that in every match, but those two guys... Like, that's the match you want to see out of them. And both matches, I felt like, were pretty good approximations of that here. Uh, interesting. I mean, Braun Strowman going over, you know, potentially wasting his first time as champion. I look at that like, yeah, but the way that he's already been treated over a period of time, I mean, people halfway look at him like the big show anyway. So it's like if Brock Lesnar, or I'm sorry, if Braun Strowman's career isn't everything it's cracked up to be at the end of the day. It's not going to be because he went over in an empty arena here. On the other side, I do feel like Drew McIntyre, they really maybe should have held off for the crowd pop and the build and the whatever, because, as, I mean, as much as he was playing to the cameras afterwards and milking the emotion, you, you can milk the emotion of the audience at home, but if there's nobody in the arena, that really kind of drains it a lot from there. So what, what were your thoughts on the two matches, on, on how they went, on what you think might come out of them, if either of them or both of them lived up to your expectations? A month and a half ago, we were getting The Fiend versus Roman Reigns for the Universal title, and I was so excited. Yeah. And it was like, that was the build, and all of a sudden, somehow, somebody would have said, they're getting Goldberg versus Braun Strowman in an empty arena. <laughs> huh? And <laughs> my reaction to that is still, huh? I mean, that's cool. He won. I mean, I've never seen a championship so more like a flop than it did in that moment. Where it's just like, okay, well, your opponent's gone, so we're going to put this guy in. No real reason, just because he's here. And he gets a title shot now, and now he wins the title. And it's like, okay. Like, this means nothing to me. <laughs> I have no interest in Braun Strowman as a champion to the point where, cool, you get to hold that belt until we wrestle and comes back and Roman beats you for it. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> Especially for that style of match, so flat to the 
point where I'm like, I don't really, I'm not that invested in Drew McIntyre as the champion, and I was thinking that. I didn't really realize that. So you were explaining the bill, and I was like, it goes back to babyface. Other than just like, didn't save a babyface. I was here with her. She just woke up one day and I just walked into the show. I was like, yeah, I thought you'd always been that way. And that's really I remember when that would happen back in the day watching wrestling going up, it meant that the guy was going to turn heel on you again. Like when Rick Flair maybe started helping out Sting and Sting's like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm going to help you out again. He knew he was going to turn on. Right. So maybe that's part of the reason why I'm like, you didn't really build the proper, like there's no reason for you, for me to get behind you other than you're just doing things to different people. Yeah. I don't know. And, and to the point where at the end of it, I'm like, this is cool. You know, they would have you know, built up the whole story and had the audience to be behind him and everything, having the crowd. Maybe it would have felt more. I like the ending where he stuck his hand out and was like, you know, you know, I, I feel you or whatever. That was a nice touch. That was really yeah. cool how they did that. And hopefully, you know, when the crowds come back to their form, but like, I don't know because to me, he was lukewarm at best going into this. Well, and here's the thing too that he was not portrayed heading into the Royal Rumble, which. And, and, and again, this is not a surprise because supposedly it was not long before the Royal Rumble when they finally decided to pull the trigger on him. So there hadn't really been that much investment of this guy's one of the guys to beat. I was really watching with great interest the night after the Royal Rumble to see how he was promoted on TV. And, you know, he was charismatic. He, he was showing a pretty good sense of humor, but it was in there as far as how, how that went and his ability to do put-downs on the other guys and everything like that. But I was like, I feel like I'm watching something embryonic. I feel like I'm watching this new Drew character, babyface main event thing get fleshed out in front of my eyes instead of, you know, like when Stone Cold won the Rumble. And, and maybe that's an unfair thing because nobody's ever been, you know, quite like he was at that time. But isn't that, isn't that what you're aiming for? It, you you got to aim for the sky. Like, you should have a fully fleshed out character, fully fleshed out ethos, whatever. Then you win the Rumble, and boom. Versus the next night on TV, I'm like, oh, this is a pretty good character that I'm watching take shape. But why am I watching it take shape the night after he won the Rumble? Why, why is he still a work-in-progress character-wise? So, and even, even in the way that it doesn't take shape, they do all that, like, you know that stupid comedy crap where it's like, oh, I'm going to WrestleMania, and then I'm going to No, just talk about the fact that you had been there. Everything you went through, for being the chosen one. Right. To every single thing, and like, look in the camera, get passionate, and be like, you know, I, I lost everything, and this is, I, I've never been given anything in my life, and I'm coming from this one. I earned this. I earned it, and like, oh my God, he's been made. Give it me that a million dollars. Yeah. Get Brock come out and get his face and be like, okay, whatever, kid, you know, blah, blah, blah. Came and came home, still like, you know, this Scottish kid, slapping the face and law. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point because. They tried to salvage it late in the day. They did that video of him going back to Ireland and out there in the countryside and whatever, and where he was kind of referencing his path that he'd been on. And you are right, because it's a very, very compelling story. You just tell the real-life story of it. And uh, there's a, well, you know, and, and there's, there's insight that I'd gotten a long time ago uh, from a friend of mine, won't say who, but uh, somebody who would be in a position to know about this who said, I think what Drew has since admitted, which is that first time around, it went to his head. That, the, that he was he treated it as a shoot, that he was the chosen one. And I think he, I think he's kind of worked that into his stuff a little bit recently, of, that that was where kind of the downfall came in. But it was just interesting to have heard that years ago, 
before it perhaps even occurred to Drew McIntyre himself that that was one of the things that went awry. But again, yeah, it's, it's a great story, but it's like the fact that he is still a developing character right before our eyes, that's a problem because, you know, here's the thing, too. In a way, uh, and I remember in 2015, I remember having a conversation with somebody and describing Roman Reigns as like a test tube wrestler. Like he's Vince's platonic ideal of what a pro wrestler should be, checking off all the boxes and stuff. But in, in that first babyface run post-Shield as a single solo wrestler, what is this guy about? Like, that was the whole thing there. It wasn't, you know, other than giving suffering succotash promos, what is this guy about? And that for a company... Hang on, hang on, I can tell you, I can, t- I can tell you real quick. What? <laughs> I'm not a good guy. I'm not a bad guy. I'm just a guy. <laughs> yeah, I'm just a guy. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what he was about. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Just a guy named Joe. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, and that's... That's the whole thing, and like, and and here's here's the thing here. We're turning it back on them that for a company that's, oh, we're bigger than pro wrestling. We're we're sports entertainment. Well, if you're sports entertainment, then how do you suck so much at developing these personas that people can get behind and understand in the year 2020? And that it basically right. takes somebody like Edge, who it, it remains to be seen how much of that goodwill was blown with the stinker of a match at WrestleMania. But Edge is somebody people got behind the way that they previously got behind, ironically, from the weight uh, spot there that they did uh, with thing, but reminiscent of Chris Benoit and other guys who, prior to, of course, what happened with them subsequently, people get behind them because their real life kind of bleeds out. Yeah, (laughs) Daniel Bryan. The real life is bleeding out into the character, and they should have had the foresight to do that with Drew McIntyre a little bit more. Uh, they, They couldn't really do that with Braun Strowman, especially after some of his recent entitled uh, Twitter rants here about uh, indie wrestlers panhandling at a time like this. And, you know, why don't you pull yourself up out of your bootstraps the way that I did? I mean, Braun Strowman's Twitter game is right about where Seth Rollins' was a year ago when they had to force a heel turn on him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Again, the whole thing, there was no builders or nothing to that one. But uh, I, honestly, I mean, to me, that was just a completely useless throwaway match that in the long run will be nothing once Rollins comes back and gets his belt back. But well, the Drew thing. You know, they could have sold Drew, like, you know, the whole story of, even with, you know, the casual fans that, you know, if they would have tuned in, that would have seen that, where it would have been like, you know, oh, hey, that's that guy from 3 and from that dance group, you know, if right. anybody remembers them, or the guy, you know, that was, you know, the chosen one and everything, you know, but it's just like, yeah, he's just here now. Right. He's just someone new, because WWE doesn't want you to remember the past, unless they want you to remember the past. They're very weird about that. We'll they are. That in a second. They're incredibly selective. By the way, speaking of 3MB... Two down, one to go. I highly look forward to the oh, Heath Slater. Slater. Yeah, Heath Slater world title run. I'm calling it. It's going to be awesome. He's got kids, you know. But as far as it goes, yeah. But before we go to the theatricals here, the real sort of main events as far as what we take away from both of these shows, uh, but the, the, uh, just briefly on the whole Goldberg thing, I don't know if you've heard uh, the dirt sheet stuff. I think it was Meltzer that was saying this. Goldberg evidently has at least some degree of a creative control card, and he threw that bitch down in Saudi Arabia because he said, look, I didn't come back to lose to this freak character. You know, the kids believe in Goldberg as a superhero. At least Goldberg didn't say I can't lose in Canada because that's where it sounds like that rant was going. But anyways, uh, you know, the whole thing about, you know, kids believe in me, people believe in me, and that 
He was, in the end, only interested in doing a job to Roman Reigns at WrestleMania in the Battle of the Spears, and that when Braun got put in there, he was actually politicking to hang on to the belt. Like, you can't, you can't take it away from me in a throwaway match, such that you may not see Brock back, or, I'm sorry, uh, Goldberg back there for some time to come, because apparently Vinnie Mac was not too happy about this. Don't know how much credence there is to any of this stuff, but Meltzer's always very, very reliable. Uh, and I say that not just to kiss up because he's a past guest of the show, but very reliable. So, thoughts on Goldberg, if that is true. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, if, if I never see a Bill Goldberg match again, I'm all right. I was cool with him coming back. I, I loved the Bill Lesnar. I actually love that whole story. I wish it wasn't for the Universal title. I wish it was just a feud. Yeah. And it ended at Mania with, if it would have ended, you know, went through Goldberg on the Hall of Fame, he's done now. I, I don't have any, I mean, unless they're putting him in the cinematic universe, I don't want to see him in a match anymore. Exactly. And, and again, we both have the network. If we want to watch any Goldberg stuff, we can watch it back from, I mean, he never had great matches, but when his matches were at least presentable back in the day. And, and, and by the way, too, for a guy who uh, was being held down by the politicking in WCW uh, from the end of 98 through the end of his run in WCW, Interesting to see him doing that subsequently to other guys here. Everything turns full circle here. Eventually, you become the veteran, holding down other guys, throwing down the creative control card. Uh, life is a circle as far as how that goes. But you referenced the, the cinematic universe here, and whether you want to give credit to, a lot of people are giving credit to Matt Hardy for Ultimate Deletion. Ultimate Deletion, I believe, though, started two years after Lucha Underground, which to me was sort of the invention of the cinematic universe of wrestling. It finally comes to WWE on, quote-unquote, the grandest stage of them all, with two big matches here. Again, AJ and Undertaker uh, in the Boneyard match. I don't call it a graveyard in these grave times. It's a Boneyard match. Uh, that literally was the main event match of Saturday night. Cena and uh, uh, Bray Wyatt was the de facto main event of Sunday night, even though the Brock match uh, went on afterwards. But uh, these are the matches that, again, we will come away thinking and remembering. These are the matches that, that melted the brain of one James E. Cornette uh, subsequently, as we knew would be the case. Another past lounge guest who was just absolutely losing his shit at the notion of these things happening. And uh, Again, and it's a thing where I, I, I don't even know how I would give them star ratings. I mean, I struggled on that. I mean, it's, at the end of the day, wrestling is entertainment, and you got to give it, I guess, for... You know, even if it's something completely bereft of moves, which, I mean, not to be a smart mark, but to use AJ in a match where moves don't matter, I don't know. But at least he got a good high-profile match the way that he deserved. Uh, and then again, the Cena-Bray Wyatt thing Sunday night, I think I referenced uh, previously that I had a little text thing going with my, my pals and lounge dignitaries, Ron Glasnap and Dave Adams, and uh, it was... Actually, no, it wasn't a text. It was a tweet that I did that I texted to them, which is, this is what a uh, acid trip must feel like. Because that's what I was feeling watching that match. It was pro wrestling as acid trip in the Cena and Bray Wyatt thing. Very clever, very creative, very uh, evocative of the past careers of both. Uh, very funny self-parody right down to, this is some good shit, pal. But, I mean... Call it what you will, but it's not wrestling. It's it's the cinematic universe taken to its furthest extreme, even further than AJ and Undertaker the night before. Oh, yeah, it wasn't a wrestling match at all, but for what it was, I absolutely loved it. It was... <laughs> I mean, I was thoroughly entertained. Was it a wrestling match? No. Could you star rate it? No. It was... It was, uh, 
thing. It was a skit. I mean, given the circumstances, I that was I much rather watch that than an empty arena brawl between those two. I don't know. I mean, unless you're just having Zeke come out and murder John Cena for one second, and it's one of those things where that was one of those where I mean, you know, if you're uh, like the James E. Cornette that are purists about the moves and psychology and everything, and I get that and I enjoy that aspect of everything. I also enjoyed some of the entertainment glitz of it and like the little Easter egg nods that are thrown in there. And, like, you can't deny this. It was the most psychological thing of the whole show. It was all and the most psychedelic. It was, it was, and, and certainly that weekend really sums up my sort of saying for WrestleMania 36 we are all Titus O'Neill because the expression that he had afterwards is the expression I think that we all had and my expression about a good part of the weekend uh, as it was, anyways. <laughs> You know, yeah, exactly. I mean, none of us know. Well, but here's the funny thing, too, though, is that you talked about this before. WWE doesn't want to acknowledge the past except for when they do. How is it, if they're doing all this cutesy-poo, wink-and-a-nod stuff, and imagine, that let's flashback to Cena's career, but let's flashback to him in some other different ways, too, which they also did with uh, Bray Wyatt with the Husky Harris uh, where were the little IRS nods in there? Like, nothing to indicate the man's actual real parentage slash family. So it's like, we're going to reference the past, we're going to reference things, but only what we want to, not the things we consider to be off-limits. A little bit of selective okay. thing there, too. Because the match was about was about Bray Wyatt taking to John Cena and John Cena's past discretions and John Cena's failures. It wasn't about... Um, Bray Wyatt. So it was like, you know, I, like, there was a little reference to Husky Harris yes. in there, but it wasn't like, it was, and it's never, I mean, that's, that's really meta. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't have been upset, you know, if it was in there. Like, I actually thought it would have been really funny if he turned and all of a sudden you saw IRS looking at him and he just breaks and says, wah, wah. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been funny. You know, <laughs> it would have been a crop check that one off the box or something. But, uh, I mean, I didn't really, just because of everything that was happening, you know, I didn't, it was one of those things, again, like, I, it was in the context of the story they were telling, I didn't really think that much about it. I didn't think it was about, like, let's go super inside. I think it was just more about this, hey, John Cena, we're going to think, the one thing they didn't show, and I kind of was really hoping they were going to, was the whole proposal to Nikki Bella thing. And they referenced it, but they didn't actually show it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, man, really, <laughs> that would have been like, you know, it's like, John! That would have been epic. Yeah, I, I, I can't, I can't blame him for that one if that was the case. But I mean, you know, if you wanted to go super meta and super in there, you know, it could be like as Cena's about to lose, it could be, oh, not again! I lost at SummerSlam '09 because of Brett DiBiase. I'm not losing because of the other son of Money Incorporated. You know, you could have gone there potentially. I don't know. That probably makes me a very smart, Mark, for thinking about that kind of stuff. Yeah, uh, I mean, but uh, for as far as what we got, I uh, mean, again, it wasn't a wrestling match. If you're watching it from, like, you know, a pure wrestling, you're going to hate it. Right. You're like, this is absolutely terrible, I hate this, because it was nothing. It was just like, it was, this, it was, it was what it was. It was a psychological velvet of madness. And then at the end of it, as far as for what, they, for what they could put together, considering the circumstances, I'm glad I got that, rather than John Cena coming out into the arena and all of a sudden being like, okay, here we go, and then 
it's one of those times where it's like, okay, they put a production behind it, they put like a, fun, a little bit of a budget behind it, they did some nods that people who, again, all fans that we remember Mania, even in quarantine, is supposed to be catering to those casual fans and hooking them back in. We're always going to be here. So, like, they'll see those little nods to, like, you know, they see the Saturday Night's main event fan in the background and you see, like, the NWO thing and all that stuff. But I'm sure even if the casual fan watching it, you at the end of the year, you're the exact same thing, the Tiger, uh, Tiger. Well, like I said, you know, we are all Titus O'Neil uh, after that one, and that's one where you will probably not see any. Uh, I, I, I don't want to say this because WWE, when they find something that quote unquote works, and this had a pretty good reaction from a surprising number of people because of at least the entertainment factor of it. A lot of times they beat it into the ground. It's hard to imagine you ever see anything quite like this again because it feels like it, it's it's gonna you're gonna come up short if you're not minding the history that John Cena has and 18 years worth of material, uh, his entire history going back with uh, good old Husky Harris slash uh, Bray Wyatt slash uh, Mr. Rotunda Jr which, again, goes back to 2010, because I think Husky Harris was one of the guys that cost him a match that kept him uh, as a part of Nexus. So, like you said, there was a little bit of a nod to that. But it's if you take it at its loosest sort of fabric, it's a 10-year history between them. It's a, real, it's a six-year history that we remember vis-a-vis WrestleMania 30 uh, and the match that happened there. But it's a thing where... You'll probably never see anything quite like this ever again because even Vince has got to realize you can't do something like that twice. You're not going to have the same level of material even if Bray Wyatt's involved. Having said that, AJ and The Undertaker uh, on Saturday night, that feels like a template going forward. That feels like a way to continue to get stuff out of The Undertaker from here on in. I don't know how you do that in a live audience WrestleMania era if you just throw it up on the big screen or whatever. I mean, because the you know the entrance is half the fun of a wrest- of an Undertaker match, anyways these days, uh, or or more than half the fun, unfortunately. But that oh, one there, would, 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 yeah. Would, would would you agree with me though that that one feels like a template of things that we are going to continue to get? Oh yeah, it felt like a spaghetti western to me. Yeah, it felt like a. Um, it felt like you know, and it was you know, they did an absolute best usage of. I'll just say this, it was 10 trillion times better than it would have been if it was an actual match. Yes. Um, no matter how great AJ Styles is. Right. It's just about me flipping around like a madman. That was, that was bad. And, and come on, how did you not love the line on AJ Styles? And then I go, don't bury me. Don't <laughs> bury me. You're old, and I'm like, that's so good. Yes. <laughs> it's just inside the reference. But, yes. You know, you get it, you get it. Like, don't bury me. Because you know, Undertaker, they would have a match, and the Undertaker would have gone over in a regular match at WrestleMania. Everybody would have been like, you just buried AJ Styles for no reason. Well, you know, why is he still going to win? <laughs> Jake, you're, you're, you're talking about a buildup that included the names Alan Jones and Mark Calloway. So don't bury me. Uh, you had to throw that in there. You're doing the work shoot thing already. You might as well go the whole nine yards. Yeah. And that was like, you know, and it does open up a whole another like, universe of things. Oh my God, I said that universe with The Undertaker and Kane. I'd watch it. Yeah. You could do The Undertaker and Kane. You could, you could finally do Taker versus Sting. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really. You know, if you really wanted to do that, I mean, I don't know. I wouldn't. I mean, as a movie, sure. But here's the thing you can't counter the match. It's not a match, it's a movie. 
Well, you know what, and I think that's it. I think they hit on that because that's their way to do the match with Sting. For as much as Sting has been itching about potentially coming back, uh, again, just knowing what happened to him last time, I don't think there's anybody that wants to see that, uh, to see him take those actual kind of risks. And, and I remember, I, I will never forget, this was not long after he got injured, and uh, of all people, Sid Vicious was doing a Twitter Q&A session. And I put that to him because he was talking a little bit about Sting and about that match and the injury and whatever. And, and I just sort of postulated because I thought from the very beginning, Jake, I'm like, that move looks cool as hell. Looks really dangerous, though. And that was basically the way I phrased it to Sid. And I was like, would you take that move? And Sid was like, no, I would never take that move. So after Sting absorbed, to, to me it's not an accident, that buckle bomb, that he got hurt, Finn Balor got hurt when it was outside the room, I mean, or outside the ring. I mean, you know, if, if you have to try that hard to take something safely, this just in, it ain't a safe move. But uh, again, so Sting, he'll never be able to wrestle a real match without all of us holding our breath and probably him. But one of these things, absolutely. I mean, again, how you present it, how it, it shows up on a card at WrestleMania or whatever, who knows? Because, again, the live audience, you might lose them. Maybe the way you do it is maybe open the show with it so that you can't really lose the crowd afterwards. I don't know. But this is, it, it just, it feels like something we're going to see going forward. Uh, maybe not exclusively with The Undertaker, but largely with The Undertaker. I would think so, because he never looked better. And hey, we got the American Badass back, too. That was cool. I've been claiming for that for a couple of years now. Yes. I thought he should have come back with that after he beat, after he, like, the dead man went away. Yeah, I really thought um, so as well. You've got to think, this is something else that would have been really cool, and I showed the key that I was like, um, the original entrance, I was thinking just as a build of that, would have been, I could only assume, would be that Metallica song that he had. Right. That he came out to, riding with Michelle McCool on the back of a Harley, <laughs> going down with like the American flag. you got to admit, that would be cool to see. Just dressed exactly the same, riding down the stadium ramp like that, and, you know, that's the American badass back, and that's when AJ Styles was like, oh crap, I'm Oh, yeah, that would be. And and here's the thing, though. When you look at it, it's one of these things where, you know, his whole thing, if they were ever going to work this in, I realize I'm in like a tiny, tiny niche minority of people. But honestly, my favorite Undertaker music was the corporate ministry Undertaker music. That one. That, that I, I liked what he was coming out to in 99. The, the gimmick itself was awful. God awful. I mean, corporate ministry Undertaker was like the dirt worst. But... I'd be shocked if you didn't, quite frankly. But, uh, you know, this was a thing where, again, I mean, that and then the Cena and Bray thing, I mean, it, you have to figure, I mean, both of those lived up to expectations just because what kind of expectations did we have coming in? I think it wasn't hard to beat them, uh, knowing what they were going to be. And if you're if you're a real, real, real old school kind of person like Jim Cornette, maybe you're going to fart on both of them. But for anybody else, for anybody that's not that sort of dogmatic into how they like their pro wrestling, uh, I think that everybody kind of took it for what it was, especially under the circumstances. So to me, especially night one, maybe not so much night two, exceeding my low bar of expectations. But I came in thinking, okay, all right, this is this is you know, this is going to be whatever. And, you know, I, I'm not going to say like a lot of people were like, oh, it was a great WrestleMania. Oh, like, nah, but like, it was pretty good. I don't know. It was know. a great show. I mean, I don't know where I'd slot it off the top of my head, but I mean, I might actually almost say 
close to middle of the pack, which I would have found shocking coming in. Yeah, I, I can agree to that. I mean, it's better than nine. Um, yeah, you know, well, better, true. Better than 27. Well, um, and, and this is a thing here, too. You know, well, you know, going back to when myself and Kyle Ross, when we were breaking down the history of WrestleMania on the show previously, it's a thing where we used to talk about this. The early WrestleManias, they didn't have matches a lot of time. I mean, it wasn't until, like, Mania 9 or even 10 to where it was like every match has a meaning for being there. Because a lot of times it was just... It took them almost a decade to get to the point where every match is supposed to be part of a storyline or whatever, or for a title, you know, expressly for that purpose. So you had that the first 10 years. You had the work rate, the sluggish work rate of a lot of these 80s guys that wasn't so great. So it's like, it's hard hard to compare because the early WrestleManias a lot of times suffered for storylines and matches and suffered for work rate. The work rate on this show, with some exceptions, was very good, but you had no ambiance. So it, it's so hard to compare. That, that's the beauty of this as an art form, Jake Digman. And I hope uh, Jim Cornette doesn't strike me down for calling it an art form, but it is. But it's like all these different subjective things and what we like and don't like. But just the fact that you and I would both come out of this saying, you know, probably at least an average WrestleMania, historically speaking, is, is, is a giant upset on, on their part, I think. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Yeah, go ahead. Jerry, what he would have done? What? So, the, uh, the ending of the Firefly Funhouse match, mm-hmm. first of all, I would have never had the team lose the title. Okay. So I would have had him, Goldberg just doesn't, he can, Goldberg can face Roman at Mania without a title. He doesn't need the belt. Right. He's like, hey, I want to come out and fight Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. Okay, you're next. Right. <laughs> Done. There's your big super dream match. You can hype it up as that, you know? Right. And then, the whole, you can very easily bring John Cena back in and he just says, hey, I want my, I want to be the you have a built-in story. I want to be the 17th half champion. Mm-hmm. With yeah. every challenge for the title. So that match, did the exact same match for, for the Universal Championship, did the exact same finish, exactly how it was. However, at the end of it, the, the, how the match ends is it comes back out, fire punch, and everyone, the spring riot locks everyone inside the Firefly Funhouse until it's safe Firefly to come back outside and play because it's just not safe right now. And WWE <laughs> just goes away because we don't need it. And like, kind of like on AEW, Chris Jericho fans fans. Uh-huh. So then, all of a sudden, now you've got Bray Wyatt has locked the entire WWE universe in with the Universal Champion in with the Fiend because the Fiend's protecting them from everything that could hurt them, and they're going to be safe until it's cheesy. But if you give a reason for us not to watch stupid empty arena matches forever. I love it. I don't need wrestling right now. Just shut down and come back at SummerSlam. I would totally agree with that. That that's totally where I'm at. It makes me it makes me cringe to watch. Uh, I'll still watch, especially AEW right now. But I don't like that's watching it. Yeah, I mean they're they're doing a hell of a job under the circumstances. But it's like I don't like watching. I, it, it's one of the reasons that a lot of death matches make me cringe. Is I don't like wa- seeing people get maimed for real. So it's like, I don't want to see, at a time of a worldwide pandemic, live on national television, one person potentially passing it to another person, especially knowing what the consequences can be, you know, for some of the people who get it. So I, I don't like that part of it. I will say this, too, and I can't have you on uh, without, uh, you know, tying it to this and getting to a little bit of MMA. 
thank God evil overlord Dana White is uh, apparently not, at least in the near term, going ahead with this uh, haunted island plan to go fight off in parts unknown somewhere. And I will say this to your boy, uh, the world heavyweight champion, Stipe Miocic. Uh, again, I, I think for anybody that's a fan of his, never a better time to be a fan of his than for the statement that he gave when he was asked about when he's going to fight again. And he says, you know what, right now I'm focused on being a first responder. Uh, people need me and, and other folks out there helping them. That's what I want to do. That's my only focus at the moment. Good for you, Stipe, because that's all anybody should be uh, thinking about in that position. The GOAT. Yeah, the he is. reason why he's the GOAT, <laughs> and that's one of the reasons why. Um, on the Dana White thing, this, um, did you see the, the, see the memes going around where he was, Dana White was dressed as Lex Luthor and he just said, I want my piece of land? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I mean. things where, where, you, where you're thinking of what could be happening to the actual people involved in it. Uh, and, and even in something like uh, MMA, where it's supposed to be at least something of a blood sport, you know, let it be from what one person does to another instead of a, a communicable disease uh, potentially ravaging somebody's body and being transmissible here. So I agree with you. Not the time or the place. Uh, ultimately, really, for any of this kind of stuff, uh, thankfully... Is some early kind of signs that things, you know, some of the social distancing working. I, I think it's undeniable that it's working at this point here vis-a-vis -vis the initial projections. Uh, Got to keep it going for a while longer. I, I've been saying for a while now, I think maybe you can get into May and maybe there can be baby steps back. Uh, you can't keep things the way they are indefinitely. I mean, we're, you know, we're, we're already, you know, sort of teetering on the edge of a depression here once we go to open it up again, but it's like, you know, we are, as they say, in, in the world of Texas Hold'em, pot committed. Like, you got to see it through. You can't have gone through all of this only to have a huge, you know, pandemic, a worse one afterwards. But uh, baby steps afterwards. But those baby steps, Jake Digman, for the long foreseeable future are not going to include fans in the stands, concerts, sporting events, etc. That's going to be the last domino to fall. Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent, absolutely. Anything that is a brings large amounts of people together like that is not going to be happening anytime for the foreseeable future, which means, okay, cool. Quite frankly, I'd rather watch more movie matches then. Yeah. If that's what my choice is, if you put movie matches on Raw, guess what? I'll probably watch Raw. If you're going to put empty arena matches against guys, I didn't care about when there were crowds there, I'm not going to care. <laughs> what am I going to watch? <laughs> that's such a great point. I mean, I don't... I don't, I don't give, I mean, that, that, you just made the most amazing point. I don't give a shit about Baron Corbin versus Elias if there's a crowd there. Why would I care in an empty arena? <laughs> it's true. I mean, you know, on that note, I suppose, I mean, if there's something that encompasses WrestleMania weekend, uh, aside from the, the, the visage of Titus O'Neil uh, after the uh, Firefly Funhouse match, but, uh, you know, I've said this before on the show, Jake. I know I referenced this when we were talking about Mayweather McGregor. Like, sometimes the weirder the spectacle, the more fun it is to break it down with you. Because you you and I can get to the absurdity of something that doesn't even have a ton of absurdity. You give us a lot of material to work with, and we are going to have fun. <laughs> yeah, 
I aim to please. Well, you always do, my friend, and I'm uh, I'm so happy that you are staying safe throughout this. I am as well. Uh, I am rarely leaving the walls of Casa de Riccio these days. I'm fortunate that I have the option uh, of, of doing that and staying bunkered. But, uh, you know, God bless my friend. <laughs> well, I keep saying to people, like, my aside from the fact that, like, after work and on weekends I can't go out, my, my life's not really that much different. I mean, it's, you know, I, I already get most of my stuff done here anyway, so it's like, all these other newbies working from home, like, oh, yeah, okay, welcome to what uh, this is like. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm... Well, listen, I'm so, I'm so grateful that my day-to-day -day life uh, hasn't changed because it, it has for the worse for many people right now, and I realize how fortunate I am. And, uh, again, that's part of what we're trying, you know, trying to, with this Coronavirus Crisis 2020 series, uh, you know, uh, enter entertain, get into some other stuff here as well. I will tell you this, I will not hesitate to put you on the spot here on the air. Uh, I would like to do a breakdown with you. Uh, I have that survey out for streaming recommendations. You are definitely the guy that i got to break down the wrestling streaming recommendations with. Uh, um, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Believe it or not, I don't really stream a lot of wrestling. Well, I mean, as far as it, recommendations for wrestlers' matches, for past matches and cards, whatever, I know you have some historical thoughts on these type things. And oh, okay. I thought you meant, like, which different, like, no, 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 no. Actually, and and, and this is this is this is reminding me that I don't think I have my survey back from you. But yeah, no recommendations on that. So when I have these back in and processed, because that's going to be part of our series. Yeah, yeah. So we'll we'll do that because uh, you you and I can really have some doozy recommendations to give to people. And I'll tell you some of the other ballots that I have back there. Some doozies there as well. So. Uh, before we are... Uh, yeah, you know me, I'm going to go stir off the rails. <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody... <laughs> Why not? I mean, I, I did recommend you all go watch... Well, that's a great teaser right there. I'll find something ridiculous that's so bad it's great. Wow, okay. Well, you, you've whetted my appetite, and I'm sure the appetite of everybody listening now for what that's going to be like when we go to do that. <laughs> so, All right, we will... We will get into that then uh, subsequently here on the uh, on the program in the very near future while we are still in lockdown. But I, I can't thank you enough, Jake Digman, uh, for your time here in this one, helping me break down the relentless absurdity that is WrestleMania 36. Oh, it's a pleasure. I had a good time. Uh, I did. I did as well. Thank you, my friend. Really appreciate it. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to FDH Lounge Mini Episode 1212.